0: mm <laughs> Okay Good afternoon. I'm Jeff
1: Smelter, and this is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Joe Works is with me, and we're going to continue our study of the book of Acts. We're going to be getting at the end of Peter's sermon and look at the response to his sermon, pick up where we left off last week. Good afternoon, Joe.
0: Hi, Jeff. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: Doing well. We also usually have Chase Byers, but he's been quite tied up the last few weeks. Uh, But Lord willing, we'll be seeing his face um, again soon um you want to get us started here we we've looked at acts chapters one and we looked two, and and we looked at peter's sermon uh maybe we start with the end of peter's sermon and go on from there
0: yeah so the the focus of peter's sermon was that they had killed jesus but so that god had raised him from the dead and the the resurrection was a was a major uh point of uh, the the sermon um but the fact that they had murdered the son of god uh Peter closes it off. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And uh, so then they were pricked to the hearts. They were cut to the heart. They were deeply affected. Their emotions were stirred. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And uh, Peter then gave the response that they need to repent and be baptized so that they could have. Uh, and this quote, I'm uh, reading from the New King James for the remission of sins. And I think that was one of the things we did not really touch on very much was this uh, connection of repentance and baptism and remission of sins.
1: Yeah, you know, that's huge. It's sin that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. It is sin that separates us from God. The wages of sin is death in Romans, the sixth chapter. Uh, Sin is our problem. And and the just result, the just consequence of sin would be eternal condemnation, death, separation from God. And here these people, apparently devout people, they've come all this way to Jerusalem for uh, these holy days, the Feast of Pentecost, and come to realize that the man they crucified seven weeks earlier was actually the Messiah that their people for generations had been looking for, waiting for. So they, they realize we're in trouble with God to hear the idea that you can have remission or forgiveness of your sins. And I guess one of the things that I take away from this is when they cry out, what do we do? Peter's response is not going to be something trivial. It's not going to be something irrelevant. It's not going to be something that's, you know, well, this is something you could do, but it's not really important. And yet that's the way people view baptism. Some people do.
0: Yeah, both repentance and baptism uh, is not a very vogue uh, uh, thing for for people to adopt. Uh, you need to make a serious change in your life, and then you need to be immersed in water. Um, we've seen that. That's nothing new. Um, uh, we've been reading about baptism through the gospel accounts as well. Um, uh, so, but when they hear this, this is not just some ceremonial washing. This is so that they can have their sins washed away. That phrase will come up specifically later on in the book of Acts.
1: Yeah. And and we see baptism throughout the New Testament, but I think it is interesting to hear on this occasion when there's the first proclamation of the gospel just a few weeks after the first public proclamation of the gospel, just a few weeks after Jesus has ascended back to the father. You ask, well, what's the takeaway? What, what is it that we have to do? What, What's what's what are the implications of what you just told us for us? It's repent and be baptized for the forgiveness, or some translations say remission of your sins. And so how many of them do that?
0: 3,000, the text goes on and tells us. Uh, verse uh, 40, 41, uh, that day about 3,000 souls were added. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, the connection is they gladly received his word and were baptized, mm-hmm. uh, and so... Um, You know, they followed up on what Peter told them to do, and uh, that then is connected with their souls um, uh, being added to this group. Peter
1: said, (laughs) repent and be baptized uh, in the name of every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, for to you is the promise, and to your children, and all that are far off. I have had people tell me, people who believe baptism is not something that's important, it's not required for us. I've had people tell me, well, this was just something that Peter told the Jews on this occasion. They needed to do that, but it's not for everybody. And yet, he says the promise is to you, to your children, the future descendants of these Jews, and all that are far off. Who would all that are far off be?
0: Uh, Maybe the Gentiles. You would think you would think, Uh, you know, it's going to include, I mean, it's pretty inclusive statement. Um, And and maybe this would be a good place to to interject that for those that are listening, if you have questions or comments or, you know, and and especially if you have a a different point of view, if you disagree, uh, Jeff and I will will probably speak pretty adamantly about this. Um, uh, But we are open to uh, hearing other views um, uh, if, if you have a, a thought or question, put it in the, uh, if you're following on Zoom, you can make a comment there, or Facebook, uh, feel free to make a comment on Jeff's page there. And qu- quite
1: quite frankly, especially if you feel like we are not dealing with the text fairly, or if you feel like there's a point we're not considering that would argue for a different conclusion, especially we'd like to get your comment and feedback. Uh, we want... <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Well, because this is a matter of eternal salvation. Yeah. If, if if we are wrong, we don't want to be teaching something that is leading people into some false hope or uh, telling them to do something that God hasn't told them to do. On the other hand, if we're right. Uh, people need to respond to that just like what we read here in Acts 2. And
1: and if we are right in what we've just said and and you believe something different, we want to convince you of of what the truth is. Granted, you might convince us of something. We may be wrong about something. But if we're right, we want to convince you. But we're not going to convince you if we don't deal with the point that you believe contradicts what we're saying. So we'd like to hear from you. So, all right. All right, so three three thousand people uh, were convinced that what Peter was saying was the truth. Yes, and they responded uh, appropriately and were baptized, and um, Peter continued to exhort them. I like I like verse forty because verse forty just seems to, I'm sure it fits many times in history, but it sure seems to fit ours.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, it would have fit in Noah's right. Yep. Um. Uh, it it, it there, there's all sorts of uh, time periods. It, it just it is a timeless admonition. Well, be saved. I'm sorry. Well, what uh, is be, it? <laughs> yeah. Be saved from this generation.
1: Yep. And in fact, the American Standard has Peter saying, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. perverse.
0: You need, you need need to come out of this way of life, out of this world.
1: It's not hard to look at our age and see perversity. Uh, people perverting things that have been true for ever since God made man, and and um, our society, perverting those things. So, all right, uh, we're all guilty of sin, and we can look around us, and maybe we see extremes in what's going on in society. The fact is, we're all guilty of sin to be saved from it. Maybe what we see is the extremes will motive, motivate us to say, you know what, I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to end up where everybody's going to end up being judged by God in the day of judgment.
0: Yeah. Um, And so maybe that idea of I don't want to follow that same path, I don't want to be where everybody else is going to end up or where a lot of people are going to end up. It says that 3,000 souls were added. Uh, That's a huge number. Um, uh, that, That is incredible. But how many people might have been in the city listening to these lessons on this day?
1: Yeah, I I would say this would be a fraction. I don't know. You may have better numbers than I do. I've seen numbers of uh, a couple hundred thousand people coming into Jerusalem for these feasts. How many on this particular occasion? I don't know, but I think we we are safe in thinking that that 3,000 was a small fraction of the number.
0: Yeah, it 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 absolutely still fits the pattern that Jesus said regarding uh, the wide, the broad way, and the narrow way. Um, uh, this is a, uh, a a a fraction, as you said, a, a minority of the people are responding to this. Very thankful, God be praised, that the three thousand did. But the truth is, the majority almost always turn away from God's word.
1: And I'll tell you something Joe, I don't know if this is relevant at all or not, but if I had been there on that occasion just how I am, I can see myself going, this is interesting. I want to give this some thought. And I might not have been amongst that 3000 on that on that day who responded right then. But I would hope that I would have given it honest consideration what we find is God is long-suffering; He is patient, and in the in the next few chapters, we see more and more people coming around and responding to the gospel. And God gave them time.
0: Uh, oh, uh, I did not respond the first time that I heard the truth proclaimed. Um, uh, it, it took me a while to uh, to fully recognize the, the desperate need of uh, of my soul.
1: Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, interestingly, uh, verses 41 and 42, where it talks about the 3,000 being baptized, but it also says what they did after that. What they didn't do is they didn't go home. So if you keep in mind, these are people from all different countries. Back in chapter 1, or early in chapter 2, rather, uh, Luke had listed a bunch of the countries these people were from. They had intended to be there for maybe a week for the celebration of this feast and then go home. But what they do is they just stay in Jerusalem. It says in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they saw this as so fundamental um, to their life. This was a life-changing message they'd heard, and their lives were now going to be ordered around uh, serving this Messiah uh, who saves them from their sins, and they need to learn more about it. Yeah,
0: uh, the uh, the New King James says that they continued steadfastly. Other translations uh, continually devoting themselves. Um, uh, yeah, th- this is a this is a new teaching that that, that they're hearing, and uh, um, they they need to make sure that they understand what God's will is. They've killed God's son. They truly have changed. They they want to know God's will now. And
1: you can imagine, too, this some enthusiasm, the Messiah, and these are his representatives, these apostles. We want to be as close to this and as part of this as much as we can. And I'll tell you, if you are listening to this as a podcast, a recording, or if you're listening live, if you have recently become a new Christian, embrace God's people. Make yourself intricately a part of the activities of God's people. Do what these people did here you know this is an old illustration people often use talk about coals in a fire and if you take a coal and you set it off by itself it's going to go out but when you keep it in with the group it stays burning and hot and, and alive and thriving and 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 that's true spiritually god knew what he was doing and i say that like well of course but but he does when he in, when he designed this this realm in which Christians interact the this the local assemblies the congregations in each city and and teaches that Christians are to be uh, loving one another and in, in brotherly love and see one another as family. Uh, there's a need for that.
0: Yeah, I, you you touched on the word I was just getting ready to go to is the idea of family. Um, we have a heavenly Father. Uh, Jesus talks about us being brethren um uh, we we need to see this family relationship that uh we we can't survive without it honestly
1: back in mark 10 um just I'll turn back there briefly uh this is after the the rich young ruler has has come to Jesus and been unwilling to sell everything that he has and give it to the, give to the poor and he's gone away sorrowful and and the disciples are kind of concerned well who can be saved if somebody like that can't be and And Jesus uh, talks about how hard it is for the rich to be saved. But then Peter talks about saying, well, we've left everything and we followed you. You know, we're not like this guy. We've left everything. What's there for us? And Jesus said in verse 29, verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. You know, sometimes people are baptized into Christ and they don't think anything's really going to change. They just got saved. and They think that they can still prioritize their worldly connections and maybe go to church every now and then and have that tangential connection to Christians. But in the New Testament, when you become uh, a follower of the Messiah, you become devoted to him and his people, and it may cost you some of those secular connections. But what Jesus is saying is, here is you're going to have a whole brand new family, much bigger than whatever you lose.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the the activities that they were engaged in, um, uh, we see it stated here, and you've emphasized these are visitors from the uh, uh, surrounding uh, countries. But we see these things following through in other passages in the book of Acts and uh, admonitions to, uh, to imitate this verse 42 um, uh, in the letters from uh, the New Testament writers. Um, this idea of fellowship, I think most translations use that in verse 42. Um, what, what's your understanding of the, the meaning of that word? Well, fellowship is
1: just it's a word that means sharing. Um there there's a whole family of words in, in Greek that all start with K-O-I-N, coin. And so there's the Greek language of the New Testament, which is called koine, because it was the language that was shared by many different nations by the first century. Greek had become a, a world language. Um it, It's... It's there's the koinonas, which is the person who is a sharer, and that's used of uh, some of the apostles who were sharers in the fishing business. They were partners in that, and they shared in that in Luke chapter five. I think it's about verse 10 where we see that. And then you have koinonia, which is just translated fellowship or sharing. Um, and and so they are they are continuing in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And then then he's going to talk about some specific things in which they'd be sharing, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about that as we go forward. But are there some particular things that you had in mind that you wanted to bring out about this, what kinds of things they were sharing in?
0: Well, I think so often the idea of fellowship in the religious realm today uh, has, you know, it's almost exclusively used to a fellowship meal, yeah. Um. Uh, and uh, it's sort of reduced to a, a social buffet um, amongst good people. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's it, it may include a, a meal. It's like, as you said, it's talking about sharing. It could be all sorts of things. Um. Uh, but uh, the context, it, we're dealing with people who are striving to know the Lord better. Listen to what the apostles are teaching. And Jesus certainly never emphasized to the apostles, now make sure you get everybody together for a good meal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I do hear people who seem to think that the word fellowship is specifically when Christians get together and have donuts, uh, you know, this good Christian fellowship. Christians share in the grace of God and Jesus Christ, even when we're not actually physically together, but Christians are to share uh, together in various activities. The Lord's Supper is sometimes called communion. So this whole Greek word group that starts with K-O-I-N, corresponds to a Latin word group that's C-O-M-M, like communion or community or even communism, believe it or not. Uh, the Boston Commons is a shared area in, in there that everybody in town, downtown, they can go and, and share that area, big park area. In New England, you had the town commons, and that was the shared property, and so we eat the Lord's Supper together, and we are sharing in the blood of Christ and the body of Christ because we have become the body of Christ, and we're eating these things that represent the blood and body of Christ, and we do that together because we share in that together. We each are participating in that, so those are ideas that are involved in this fellowship, but Joe, let me ask you this. You've got these 3,000 people, many of whom had come from other countries, and lo and behold, they don't go home. They just stay here to continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. That's going to create some problems, isn't it?
0: Well, you know, we don't have the, the banking system in their day that we might have where they can just stop down and use their debit card or whatever. Uh, so they've come with a limited amount of resources. That's going to run out pretty quickly because they not anticipate staying. So now, how are they going to survive while they're wanting to uh, listen to the apostles and and absorb everything they can? Fellowship, sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so and so we see that uh, in the next few verses. Then uh, everybody who believed had all things uh, were together had all things in common. Um, to, to the extent that some people even sold their possessions in order to help out what I'm assuming, uh, would be in particular, especially these visitors that have stayed around, but it may not be limited to just them. Uh, it could be others that find themselves in need. Um, uh, and so here they are just sharing and, and open about that, um, uh, and, and, and growing to, together.
1: So, and I'll just mention here where it talks about, them having all things in common that's another one of these koin words it's it's part of that family that has to do with fellowship it's they shared everything it was in common
0: right right so uh well, what what a what a great picture we can can conjure up in our minds of of these disciples these early disciples you know just just getting together on a very regular basis, verse 46 talks about them doing so on a daily basis in the temple, and then, uh, you know, opening up their houses and having meals together, uh, and and praising God, what an encouraging time, you know, it, it's from this moment on that we ought to expect the the devil gives up, and there's not going to be any more conflict, right? Um, <laughs>
1: Next chapter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Unfortunately, um, or or maybe I shouldn't even say unfortunately, um, but we should expect when the church is growing, when God's people are doing what they're supposed to do, helping each other out, The devil's not happy with that, and he's going to create scenarios that uh, will try to be obstacles.
1: So the next chapter actually tells the story of Peter and John in the temple, and they get an opportunity to preach and draw a crowd, and then the next chapter, chapter 4, is going to be the devil's response. It's going to be the persecution of the apostles because of the fact that they're drawing these crowds, and because specifically what they're saying to the crowds about resurrection. So let's let's get into chapter 3.
0: So we see then in in verse 1, Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, uh, whom they had laid at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. uh, Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And verse 8, you have to, to, to get the image. So he, leaping up, stood, walked, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God.
1: So so just to get the picture for everybody, people may wonder what to imagine when it says Peter and John into the temple, and they may be thinking of like, like a church building or something like that. You need to understand the temple covered an area around 30 acres, give or take about four acres. There are different estimates about how much territory it covered. But there was a lot of open area. It was, there was a, a large wall around the perimeter of this whole area. And then within that wall, there were various other barriers and dividers that, that made certain courtyards. And then in the center of all of that was the temple proper. And when it says Peter and John went into the temple, it's not talking about that building in the, in the very center that was the temple proper. They're in this big complex in fact it mentions the beautiful gate which would have been a gate in one of the walls separating one courtyard area from another courtyard area and this is where they encounter this lame man <laughs> and they do this miracle and it was a miracle it wasn't like some of the healings you see on some um television evangelist show where he heals somebody nobody's ever seen this person before he comes up and and um he hobbles up on a cane, and, and then he throws his cane away, and he walks back up the aisle, and, and maybe with a stumble or two, but everybody says, hey, he's healed. No, this was dramatic. We're going to find out um, that, well, it tells us this guy was lame from his mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Later on in chapter four, we're going to find out, we knew know his age. He was more than 40 years old, yep. so people know something about this guy, and he's never walked, and when he gets up, he doesn't get up.
0: Oh, uh, uh. No, he jumps up. Would you love to be able to get up the way he got up? I was going to say that. I think you were uh, imitating me sometimes. there. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. There's no hesitation. You know, we our, our minds are hearkened back to the miracles of Jesus where, uh, you know, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. Jesus touched her. She was healed immediately. Got out of bed and began to serve them. Um, uh, you know, over and over, we see that image where uh, people are healed immediately. They are healed completely. Um, uh, and uh, you know, this image here of him walking and leaping and praising God. You know, there's uh, it. It talks about how his uh, his strength came uh, came to him uh, in verse seven. It's uh,
1: and so verse 10 says they took knowledge of him that it was he that sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple that he was a regular and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him and as he held peter this is verse 11 now as he held peter and john all the people ran together under them in the porch that is called solomon's greatly wondering you can you can imagine if there were if you were down at a shopping mall or or someplace with a lot of people around. And, and and there was a guy there. Everybody knew him. They saw him day in, day out. And all of a sudden he's jumping about. The people who saw it would come running and they'd be exclaiming. And the people who didn't see it, but were on the next tier of people outward would hear and they'd come running and everybody else sees everybody running. They'd all run. Peter's got an audience. What's Peter yeah. going to do?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh well, uh, he's not going to take credit for it himself. Nope. Um, he had already said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, um, and now he's going to make it really clear that they need to not be looking at Peter and John. They need to look up.
1: So we come to verse 12. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this man, or Why fasten your eyes on us as though by our own power or godliness we had made him to walk? the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied before the face of Pilate when he had determined to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted unto you, killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses.
0: And so again, you have this idea of uh, very direct, very clear, you all crucified the Son of God. Um, uh, you know, it's by, and in his name, don't look at us, it's not by our power, but remember that Jesus, that, that God had glorified his servant. Um, uh, I wonder if this idea of glorified his servant, Jesus, verse 13, might be hearkening back to the word servant, maybe like in the book of Isaiah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, perhaps they would be thinking in those terms then, or, or at least reflect on that later, perhaps. Um, uh, but again, this is, we said earlier, 3000 on the day of Pentecost, but God isn't going to just say, oh, well, you had your chance. God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. But so here's another opportunity. This man is healed. This is a chance to tell people about Jesus.
1: And again, you mentioned last week. How there was such an emphasis on the resurrection from the dead and on the apostles being witnesses of that fact all through the book of Acts. And you see, that's what Peter says in verse 15. God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses. Peter and John standing there. We are witnesses. And well, OK, so you claim you saw a guy raised from the dead. I'm not going to believe that. Well, wait a minute. What, what did Peter just do? He healed the lame man.
0: Yeah. And, and again, he had been sitting there at that gate. That was his a station to receive uh, money to be able to survive he couldn't work so people would see him you know every time that they went to the temple people would see him there's no denying uh, this miracle at all Um, that'll that'll become significant even later on but then verse 17 kind of surprises me a little bit yeah um you know because they've been so adamant about you denied you delivered up to Pilate uh, you killed the, the prince of life. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also did the, your rulers. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, this idea then that they did it in ignorance—oh, okay, so they're not guilty, right? I mean, if you don't know, is—is is that what he's suggesting here?
1: Nope. <laughs> nope. He says repent.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even if we do something. And uh, we didn't know uh, about it. Well, they should have. And so, you know, doing something in ignorance is not an excuse, particularly in this situation. Um, uh, You know, because God has revealed, Jesus has been all over the land, uh, preaching and teaching, showing compassion through his miraculous uh, deeds, uh, uh, preaching sermons like the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, They did this in ignorance. But it's not that they didn't have an opportunity to know. They chose not to know up to this point.
1: You know, Joe, you talked about how bold he was. I'm not sure what the adjective you used, but something like that. Very straightforward. I I tend to lead with the caveat. I, I tend to lead with the softening um, message to, now, I understand this, and maybe this is not applicable to you, and so forth and so on, which maybe dilutes the point that I'm, I'm really trying to make. But Peter doesn't. Um, he, he led with, um, "This is done by the power of the guy you crucified, <laughs> and, yeah. and he was righteous, and you you let a murderer go, and had this guy crucified, and he was actually God's servant." And then he says, "I know you did it ignorantly, but
0: <laughs> yeah." And so may, that I think it's an excellent point, and I I tend to, to fall into that as well. I'm afraid uh, too much. You know, we ought to have humility we ought to not be telling people that they're sinners in the sense that we aren't or something like this. And, and if both of these sermons in Acts two, this recorded and here in Acts three, Peter's the one that's speaking, you know, if I were Peter, I might be thinking, I just denied the Lord three times. Who am I? Yeah. Um, and yet maybe that's exactly why he's doing what he's doing by the grace of God. I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I need to let these people know and I need to do it with clarity. Yep. Peter's not angry with them. Peter's not, you know, mad at them. Peter's not wanting them to, uh, to just get mad and throw up their hands and walk away. He's wanting to convince them. This is a, a, a moment of desperation in, uh, in Peter's uh, message. hmm.
1: And this language in verse 19 repent ye therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. It's so really quite parallel to what he said in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Repent, be baptized, remission of sins. Here, repent, turn again, sins blotted out. One of the things I, I think I would stress here is a lot of times people say repentance is a, is a changing of your actions. It's a 180-degree change of your actions repentance is actually the inward change it's the change of heart that results in the change of action and so here he says repent and turn again the turning again is the result of the repentance but the repentance is the inward change and i hear people who belittle baptism who don't think baptism is important saying well that's just an outward act there's there's got to be something inward yeah that's what Peter said. He said, repent. There's your inward right there. Inwardly change your heart. Later on in the book of Acts in chapter 20. Paul is going to use the language uh, of and trying to remember how it goes. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Is that how
0: it goes? It sounds like a good that's pretty close if it's not exact. Repentance, yeah.
1: Repentance. Uh, uh yeah, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So The thing that I would say is repentance is not just a turning from sin. It's an inward change, and it's an inward change that says, I'm no longer going to be ruled by my own desires and do what I want. But it's not just a negative, I won't do that. It is a repentance toward God. It is a turning my heart to God. I'm going to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Peter says, sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord.
0: And and this is not just a... Uh, sort of a philosophical study, or a um, being picky about grammar or word usage, or whatever. Is, is it possible for people to to turn away from sins without repentance? Yeah, uh, sure. and, and 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 that's the unfortunate situation. Sometimes people they they got caught, yep. and so okay, well I'll stop doing that. But they haven't really changed their heart. I mean, they they're not submitting to God. Um, uh, or maybe they find that well, there's some benefit for me right. to do differently, but they're they're being selfish in that, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it this is this is really important to get this two step process in the, the the repentance and the conversion. There, I mean, um, uh, you know, we need to to change our thinking and change our actions because of a changed thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. And so then he says. Uh, So there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord that that he may send the Christ, the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, whereof God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets that have been from of old. So one thing to observe here is that he talks about Jesus, the Messiah, talks about the Christ, the Messiah being sent. Now, we've just talked about in Acts 2, and just a few verses here earlier in Acts 3, they killed him, and he had been raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. And now Peter's talking about him being sent. And I think this ties in with Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and then the angel standing there telling the disciples, why are you looking into heaven? He's coming back again in the same manner. He's coming back.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so if they want to have a hopeful looking toward his return, um, they, he, he will return. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they need to have a hopeful longing for that by making changes that Jesus has instructed them to make.
1: Verse 22 and on. Moses indeed said, so this is Peter still talking in the temple. Moses indeed said, well, he's talking to a bunch of Jews in the temple, Jews who regard Moses as, well, he is the chief Old Testament character, gave them their law. He is is the authority. Well, Moses indeed said, a prophet shall the Lord God raise up unto you from among your brethren like unto me. To him shall you hearken. You, You need to listen to him. In all things whatsoever he shall speak unto you. Well, it's pretty easy to see who Peter's talking about here is being that prophet like Moses. It's this Messiah, the Christ. And so he goes on, he says in verse 23, and it shall be that every soul that shall not hearken to that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and them that followed after, as many as have spoken, they also told of these days. So the whole Old Testament was looking forward to this day, the coming of the Messiah.
0: And again, that ties back to they did this in ignorance, but they, you know, anytime they went to a synagogue, they heard either Moses or one of the prophets. Well, they actually heard both um, uh, the the law and the prophets being proclaimed. Um, uh, And he says they they were talking about this Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so uh, you need to uh, act upon uh, this is the fulfillment. Again, there's evidence right before them, you know. I don't know how this actually played out, but I can just sort of imagine as Peter is trying to preach. There's this guy standing behind him, just jumping up and down, saying, "Listen to them! They just healed me!" You know, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you you have the 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 illustration. You 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 have the 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 PowerPoint, if you will, right there. Yeah, um, the, the, the cripple the, guy the, who's now jumping up and down.
1: Yeah,
0: go and, ahead. And, and we, we we just we can't miss that the importance of that scene you know there's evidence that what peter is saying you know he he has to be from god god has allowed him to do this um uh, and so then he begins to tie through wait you're right moses did talk about this one that was to come And, and yes these other prophets and and those things where we were looking forward to the messiah and they might be thinking about you know malachi and and on and on uh so yeah Boy, I, what will they do with that?
1: And so you, you reference to the human PowerPoint here, this guy who had been crippled and now he's healed standing there. What's going to happen here is that because of this great crowd that comes together and Peter's preaching to them the resurrection, which the Sadducees, some of the leaders in the priesthood of the Jews, they don't believe in resurrection. That undermines their credibility and authority. So they, they put Peter and John in prison and then they haul them before the council. And and they've got a problem because it says in verse fourteen, seeing the man that was healed standing with them, <laughs> yeah. they
0: could say nothing against it. <laughs> yeah. If I were Peter and John, I you know they're they're holding. He's holding on to Peter and John, jumping and leaping. It tells us earlier um, uh, in uh, verses eight and following there. Um, uh, or uh, yeah, uh, he's uh, leaping and stood, walk uh, with them. Um, if I were Peter and John. I would want him to stay with me as well. Ah, I
1: would not let go of that guy. You're going with me everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, but wow, what a sermon. And I, I want to go back to something. Happy to hear your thought on this. Um, uh, sometimes I read over words and I don't really absorb this, the power of them or the significance of them. But this idea of the prince of life back in verse 15, mm-hmm. that, that just seems like a a, a significant phrase that. I might be tempted to gloss over, I know who that is, um, uh, and so why do I need to think about that? I don't know if your translation says prince, or my marginal reference says originator, um, uh, the the idea there. Um,
1: yeah, so and what immediately comes to my mind, I think it's Isaiah, the ninth chapter, doesn't it use that language there, similar to it? But uh, let me
0: yeah, i'm I'm not recalling that, but you may be right well um, okay.
1: maybe I'm, I'm thinking two passages, yeah, yeah, Prince of peace in isaiah nine six Jesus okay. is Prince of peace, yeah, and then uh, I think it's in Micah chapter five and verse two, where it's am i am I thinking right in the in the account of the prophecy of the birth taking place at Bethlehem, uh-huh. um I think the term prince is used. This one shall be our prince. Yeah. Am I, yeah. Let me get there. Jose, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Now you see how I have to remember the books of the Bible. This one will be our peace in Micah 5, verse 5. But as far as the, the language that's actually used here, it's in, verse, um, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 15, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh uh so let's see here um acts chapter th- three and verse fifteen yeah okay, so it's not the word that I would have expected it is it is right uh, archegon which would be your says did your footnote say originator yes yeah that that would make sense and i'm thinking i am thinking if i'm right uh let me check real quickly here. Uh, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be, and I can't spot things as quickly as I could at one point in in my life. But I believe in Hebrews when it says, "Captain of our salvation." In yeah,
0: that's where I was thinking as well. Hebrews two, um, uh, in verse uh, ten, uh, bringing many sons the glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The word "author" there—isn't that the same idea of? Uh, Prince or Captain?
1: Uh, you said Hebrews two, two ten. Okay, let me. I'm in Hebrews. I'm in. The, let's see, chapter two, verse ten. Um, and um, Hebrews two ten. Oh, okay, I got it. I got it. Yeah, same word. Yeah, same word.
0: Yeah. And so uh, he's the one who is bringing life to us. He's bringing eternal life, salvation, the, the Hebrew writer will, hmm. will then be talking about as well. Um, he's called the prince in 531. We'll get to that eventually. Same word. Um, yeah. And so uh, I think maybe seeing the significance of that, and, and what hits me there is sort of the play on words, you killed the one who is the originator of life. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, uh, and that, and again, you know, I, I would almost I'm tempted to just kind of scan over that cuz I know who we're talking about so I want to go ahead and get to uh, the the punchline I want to get to the the conclusion the uh, the end of the lesson but uh that that play on words there or or that uh uh emphasis you put to death the one that gives eternal life. Yeah,
1: that's a good point, Joe. This is quite an irony. And then we get to verse 25 of Acts chapter 3. Peter's sermon, he's wrapping it up. You're sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God had said that to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And he's beginning to accomplish that here as the gospel is being spread out from Jerusalem, and we've not left Jerusalem yet. We're still in Jerusalem, but that's where this is going. Verse 26, unto you first, God, having raised up his servants, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Unto you first, Peter's intimating what comes next, even though Peter doesn't seem to fully grasp what comes next until Acts 10. Right. Then we get to chapter 4, verse 1. As they spoke unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple And the Sadducees came upon them. Now, remember, the Sadducees are the ones who came to Jesus in in Matthew 22 with a crazy story about a woman who had seven husbands, and if there's a resurrection, that'd be a mess. So obviously, you'd have a woman with seven husbands in in the next life. Obviously, you can't have a, a resurrection, was their idea. And the Sadducees, the ones that Luke tells us in Acts chapter 23, they didn't believe in the resurrection or angels or anything like that. And yet, they hold the highest offices in the priesthood. And so if there is a popular idea going around that resurrection really is our hope, notice they're not just in verse 2, it says they're troubled because they, Peter and John, taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, but by virtue of Jesus' resurrection, you have a hope of being raised from the dead. If the people start believing that and their religious leaders don't believe that, that's going to undermine those leaders' authority. And so they arrest Peter and John. Verse three, they laid hands on them, put them in ward to the to, to morrow, where it was not even time. We'll find out next week what happens to Peter and John after they've been arrested. But right here, it just wraps it up in verse four. Luke just saying, by this time, how many people have become believers?
0: Yeah, 5,000.
1: Wow. And that's just counting the men.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so I wonder if, the I know we're out of time, but I wonder if the Sadducees are are almost seeing this as deja vu, Uh, you know, in the temple, Jesus, now Jesus' disciples against these religious leaders, uh, talking about the resurrection. They tried to mock it, as you mentioned, that hypothetical situation. What did Jesus use to uh, uh, refute that? One, the law of Moses, uh, you know, have you not heard what uh, was said at the burning bush and then called to mind about Abraham and Peter has just used Moses and Abraham as well.
1: Yeah. Or even deja vu just on the scale of seven weeks ago, these Sadducees thought, phew, we're rid of that guy. Oh, yeah. And yeah. now <laughs> we're not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're going to they're going to try to put a stop to it here.
1: They're trying. We'll find
0: out what happens to Peter and John next week to so tune in again next week. Thanks for being with us today.